Pat's first reaction was to drive them out of the area and into safety, which he did. He saved his teammates and the medic put him on the hood and tried to get them to drive to the helicopter because they knew that he was bleeding out and they tried to their best to rescue him, but that's a surgery that needs done immediately. And the helicopter came and he died on the helicopter on the way to the hospital. Tears hit her cheeks like Tyson's glove. Pain hits his heart as she fights for love. She says, don't go, but the call came. It's time to deploy, and they called his name. Close to zero, 0500, her mind starts wandering. Butterflies, tummy starts rumbling. Queasy, uneasy, trying to hold it all together. She doesn't want the last moments here to be unpleasant. That is Ginger. I'm Andrew Connect, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. Ginger could have shared her story focusing on the elements that are popular and would impress people focused on appearances. Things like playing in the lingerie football league, being a fitness model, and running her own fitness business. Instead, she demonstrates her strength of character by talking about the challenges she's faced. Challenges that would be very easy to run from and never want to think about or talk about ever again. We started talking with one of those challenges that occurred on a day she'll never forget. That day was November 10, 2007. That was the date that I lost my best friend and the father of my son, my husband. Well, my, my whole world changed. And while I can't remember exactly the entire detail of every single moment of the day, I'll never forget how I felt. And it's so hard to describe when you say like every single thing in your life changes because you, like every single detail in your life changes um, or every single detail in my life changed whenever my husband passed away. I had just flown to Tennessee to visit my sister for Thanksgiving. I was going to do an extended stay and then um, I was only there for I believe a day, maybe a day and a half and I woke up in the morning and I remember seeing a car come into her driveway and we were in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. So there was no reason for someone to stop by. And instantly I saw two men dressed in green and I knew exactly what was going on. And I don't remember what they said, the words coming out of their mouth. I don't remember their names. I didn't, and I couldn't, I honestly couldn't hear anything. I didn't need to hear anything. I already knew what had happened when I saw, as soon as I saw them get out of the car, I already knew. And I, my sister said I started screaming really loud and crying, like, and it scared my niece. She said to this day, it, the thought scares her. And I um, tossed my son to my sister and fell to the ground and was broken. Mm. And how old was your son? He was only 16 months old. And you said you just went to Tennessee and you'd been over in Germany with your husband who's in the military. Is that where you'd been previously? Yeah, we were stationed in Stuttgart. We'd only been there a year before he deployed. He'd only been deployed for, he deployed September 26th and he passed away November 10th. And I think I think for a lot of people, like just hearing the word like "gold star widow," it seems 
it seems like so unapproachable and meaning like how do I relate to this person who has suffered such loss and you know in your case it's you suffered such loss and now you're alone with your son and your best friend has been taken from you how do you want people to relate to you when they hear this or they they hear that's part of your story like what's the best way for someone to relate to you um that's a good question i'm not i guess i lost so so much or lost so big that it impacts your whole life Mm -hmm. um it's at first obviously i was grieving and not that I'm not grieving, because you never stop grieving. Mm-hmm. You grieve every day for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You just learn how to manage it. But what I didn't expect was the parts where I miss sharing all the good stuff with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like when Bastion overcomes something. Mm-hmm. Bastion is my son. Mm-hmm. When, Whenever uh, something really good happens... I don't have anyone there to relate to with it because nobody can understand the sense of achievement and proudness that I feel for my kid, except for the other person that I made the kid with. And I have like, that's when I feel really alone. I think through this, the struggle and the hard stuff, it obviously sucks not having help. But to me, it's harder to go through the really wonderful times knowing that, he doesn't get to share it with me. It sounds like you're saying you don't miss him the most in pain. You miss him the most in the good times. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's dead on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know um, how to tell somebody to relate to me, honestly. Maybe it's because I haven't really had anybody relate to me. I um, joined a bunch of groups, and I, I looked and read blogs for um, other widows and... Uh, reading them all and joining the groups and talking to people actually made me feel more alone than anything because I felt like nobody else really felt like me. Mm-hmm. So I stopped doing that because it didn't help. It made me feel worse. <laughs> I'm like, great, I'm really weird. Nobody gets me at all. <laughs> the one person in this world who did get me isn't here. And now I'm grieving this person and I still am completely misunderstood. <laughs> And we're, I'm just going to keep diving one deep subject on top of another, and then we're going we're gonna to climb out of, the, out, out of that depth, because I know that's something you enjoy, too. It's, I mean, part, part of your journey that I understand that makes you feel alone, even amongst other people who have experienced similar loss, meaning, you know, their husbands died in war, is that somewhat related to your childhood background growing up? Yeah, definitely. I am not a stranger to struggle. And I, right out of two years old, that was my first, like, impact on my life. And not that I remember it, but I know that I survived something traumatic. Mm -hmm. My uh, biological mother left me for an addiction, and I was in our apartment for a few days by myself at two years old with no food or water or anyone supervising me or caring for me in any way. And my dad came home from his job because he traveled to find a note written by my mother um, that she had taken all this money and left. 
and she couldn't handle this life and I was his to take care of and he was mortified he said I was covered in mm-hmm. bugs and pee and poop and he said that his heart broke mm-hmm. instantly to see that see me in that condition and that his best friend was also gone because they had been together for seven years mm-hmm. so and that was my first struggle that I overcame and survived and ever since then I kind of feel like I've gone through a lot more after that my dad and I were on the road living in and out of houses because he was a truck driver and traveled and that was the only thing he knew he had no formal education he was just doing what he could and then he knew that I needed a mother and a female role model and he married someone who promised him that she would be the best mother to me and she ended up being mommy dearest and from time I was five until nine, this woman physically abused me, sent me off to a place where I was sexually abused. She mentally and emotionally tormented me. She told me all kinds of like lies and she was just not a great person in general, obviously. And still uh, someone I have yet to face in person. Mm. <laughs> but I survived all that and still came out as like a pretty happy kid. <laughs> I was well adjusted. I have no idea how. It was just my mindset. I knew my dad loved me. I knew my dad was working for me. I knew he was always on my side. There wasn't a doubt in my mind that my father loved me mm. ever throughout everything. And I that just really helped me. And then whenever they split up and she kicked us out, my dad and I were homeless again. And even though we were homeless... I was happy because I didn't have to be around her. <laughs> and all that that entails, yeah. I was like, silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> Never been so happy to be traveling around without a home, yeah. Yeah, just traveled. And I was kind of like a gypsy from from that age until I was 13 when my dad married my stepmom now. So. To kind of reset for just like thinking about the audience of people listening who might be like, like what you've shared, like it takes so much courage, it takes so much strength. I think that's unusual for people to experience someone being that real about their vulnerabilities, where you can hear it in your tone that that you're not disconnected from your emotions, that this is, you know, you experience the pain, you experience the loss, and you feel joyful and you're happy. Like you're you're experiencing all those things and you're opening up and you're sharing what's going on. And I think most people just aren't accustomed to that. And it's it catches them by yeah. surprise. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I agree. I, I, I've explained and opened up to people before about things from my past, and I often see that I make them uncomfortable mm-hmm. talking about things that I've been through. While I'm not uncomfortable talking about it, I'm definitely making that person feel awkward. And I think it's because they don't know what to say, not that they really need to say anything. I, everyone goes through different levels of struggles in their life. Um, some of the things I've told people they can't imagine ever going through, mm-hmm. but then there's things I've heard of that I could never imagine going through. Someone who's lost a child, I can't imagine that. That mm. would be the most unbearable pain I could possibly imagine. I have, have no idea how to relate to someone with that amount of loss. Um, but I wouldn't feel awkward listening to them. <laughs> I would just, you know, simply tell someone you're there for them. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I think that I think that's the thing where we you know we could talk about it in terms of bandwidth, like how much you're able to process or capacity in terms of how much can you hear without it without it taking away from being present where now you're focused on your issues or your unresolved things that you don't know how to handle and this story that they shared, you know, rings true to that in you. And so that's what makes I think people uncomfortable is not, you know, just their own internal stuff that they can't deal with, which then, like you're saying, it leaves you feeling even more isolated, even more alone. Yeah. You feel awkward. You're like, okay, I just made you really uncomfortable and I don't know what to say now. <laughs> so start like looking, shifting your eyes, adjusting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I find it very hard to find that I can relate to other people easily. And then I, in my life, I've noticed that. And then I've also found that it's very hard for a lot of people to relate to me, but I'm also compassionate and understanding to the fact that they haven't had similar struggles and had to overcome certain things. Um, and it doesn't bother me. I'm not. So I guess another way is, you know, it's, cause I think, I think for most people, like for them listening, I think that's their first question. Like I said, is how, how do we relate to you when it's like, you're saying like for you, you have that same, like you can understand where it's like, I don't know how to relate to someone who's lost a kid. Like I can't imagine like, who am I to intrude or who am I to ask or to not ask? Right. It feels so. Well, that is where I am different though. I would ask more questions. Um, if they were willing, if someone's willing to open up and share, then I definitely ask questions and try to do my best to wrap my brain around how they're perceiving their situation, how they're feeling through their situation. I'm a very empathetic person. While I, like I said, I can't really relate to someone who has lost a child. At the same time, I can relate to loss, but just maybe not on the same level. I can understand wanting and needing and sometimes just needing to vent as much and hear things, hear yourself say things out loud when you're going through stuff. Yeah, like the idea of a compassionate witness, that someone who's there and there's listening so you're not alone with it because being alone and trapped in your own thoughts is just so unbearable. It is. It's scary. I am. I was looking up lots of articles on somebody being a single parent raising an ADHD child. Hmm. And I was like, I have to be able to find something on the internet. Like, you know, mm. if you feel alone, look it up on the internet. <laughs> You'll find somebody who feels the same way. Right. And it was really, um, it, it really just made me feel worse because everyone that was talking about being a single parent was talking about being a co-parent. They were giving their kid to the other person for half the time. And I don't ever have anyone to give someone like bastions with me 24 7 and i'm like okay well where are the actual single parents not the co-parents mm -hmm. and then i couldn't find anything on being widow and grieving and raising a, ch a child on the spectrum that part was like geez <laughs> i'm completely alone <laughs> well i think that's part of the power of you sharing your story is that there may be other people out there like you but for someone to share truly you know this depth of like this is what's going on in my life for other people to find and to connect with even if there are people who have experienced all the things you have those who are willing and able to actually share and understand that when someone 
you know, feels awkward about it. It's not because they're this awful person having experience. It's just this other person isn't capable of relating to me in a way that's helpful or processing a fraction of what I've gone through. A lot of people, I mean, it is take a, it takes a lot of courage to step up and, and talk about going through struggle because I think a little bit because of like the laws of attraction, you know, you're, you always want to put on your strong face and you don't want to appear vulnerable or weak. But to, in my mind, I think telling people go that you're struggling and asking for help makes you a strong person um, when you know you need it because you're, you're setting aside the, the fact that people are, might be judging you and you're showing that you don't really care, <laughs> that you want to just do something and get a result. And to me, that shows strength and character where I guess a lot of people would perceive opening up and making yourself vulnerable to judgment and opinions of others and sharing um, would make vulnerability to them, makes them come off as weak or feel weak in some form or fashion. But to me, it's strength. hundred percent agree. And I think people confuse the, the counterfeit of that strength, right? Like the, the concept, like someone's thirsty or someone's needy. Like they're unable to hold in their emotions or their desires. I think people confuse that with someone who has gone through it. They, they perfectly are capable of it, but they're saying what is more valuable in life than having connections and being able to deal with these type of issues. Like really, we're going to talk about, you know, the new hairdo or the new phone. Not that, those, not that those aren't things that you should talk about or it's fun to, but it's like really that's what interests you the most in life is dealing with right it's like that's that's where that's where your world is like that's the biggest struggles or the most joy you have are related around that it's like okay that sure seems you know surface level which is fine but that that should lead to a you know a deeper discussion at some point uh, i would assume yeah hope that somebody you would hope that those people that only talk about that actually do have more depth to their character as opposed to the superficial that you see i prefer the depth i like the nitty gritty the realness and like when people confess their secrets to me mm. and, and then I don't ever judge them or make them feel shameful for them because I, I understand, like, I understand what guilt feels like. I mm. hate that feeling. I don't want anybody else to feel shame or guilt. I, I think that's a terrible feeling. I think that uh, we where people are mostly really hard on themselves a lot too. They criticize themselves so much. Sometimes they just need someone to tell them that, things are okay, <laughs> that you're human, <laughs> you're allowed to be human. <laughs> and I think that's the toughest struggle is that we oftentimes feel all this internal guilt and shame and we don't know how to deal with it. So if anyone else ever triggers us on those emotions, the only way we know how to handle it is to lash out like we lash out against ourselves. Like, you know, we hate ourselves, the internal monologue of how worthless we are and how stupid we are. We take all that internal talk and then we you know, force that on the other person who, you know, triggered those things. And that's, I mean, that's very understandable, but it's like, as a society, you're just individuals. It's like, we've got to learn, you know, it'd be more helpful to learn better ways of saying, okay, so what, how do you handle these things in your life that really no one talks about? Because it's not, it's not gonna make a magazine cover, like guilt and shame, ooh, tips and tricks for guilt, right? Like that's... <laughs> <laughs> It's just something that everyone deals with, though, and nobody really talks about. And it's it's a that's a very relatable subject for anyone, I think, too, especially as a mother. Like, mm. I know we talked about before um, the like 
the guilt that comes with being a mom <laughs> it's unreal <laughs> like they're never enough um and maybe that has something to do with me being a single parent i'm not sure um now i hear that from people who are married as well like with their spouses are alive and with them it's it's mom guilt in general you might have a different like flavor of it but it's a every mom has yeah. they have guilt we like never enough or never in um I, I always try to reinforce and, and find the positive in, in uh, my female friends that are moms and let them know that they're doing a good job. I mean, at the same time, I'm not a dishonest friend, too. If somebody's actually doing something wrong, right. I'll let them know. <laughs> like maybe you overreacted just a little, and we should try to see it like this point of view instead. <laughs> Right, it's not just a blank check of, yeah, anything goes because I'm understanding. <laughs> um, I'm definitely a, a brutally honest friend. My girlfriends will attest to that. <laughs> it's hard to find, and I think most people are caught off guard by it, so they don't know how to appreciate it or value it, because they just don't, they haven't experienced it. They've never, it's just so new and foreign to them, they don't know what to do. I wish people would be brutally honest with me all the time. I hate, like fluffing when I call it fluffing <laughs> when someone's trying to like butter you up for the news I'm like come on buddy I can take it just lay it out there what is it let's go all right got a problem let's solve it <laughs> the, the corporate way of talking about that is you want someone who has more texture than polish <laughs> yeah um it, it, I prefer it I just I I don't like trying to read people's minds <laughs> That idea of mind reading, that someone else is supposed to know your emotions, your desires, your thoughts, I think people, and there, there, is, there is power to that, right? When someone's so in tune with you that they just get you without you saying a thing, I think that is a very like cool experience. But that, you don't just get there through you know, passive-aggressive games. It's by being completely honest that they really understand how you work, and then you're really linked up. But you don't get there just by you know, being sullen, sulky, or passive, or hoping one day they'll get it. It's like you got to have a conversation here. No, yeah, exactly. I actually, that's one of my favorite feelings in the world is being not in tune with somebody. That's how I was with my husband. We met when we were 19 and we didn't even like, we didn't even really like each other the first time we met. <laughs> I thought he was such an asshole <laughs> and he told me I was sassy. And I, was like, oh, I will show you sass when I shove my size nine boot up your ass. And he's like, oh yeah. And I was like, oh, you're gross. <laughs> Love at first sight. <laughs> and he was like, she's really feisty. I like her. And I'm like, ah, you're pissing me off more. <laughs> and then, um, but I found him intriguing. Like, then I couldn't stop thinking about him after that, even though I was like mad about it, <laughs> which translated into a marriage with somebody I could not get and stay mad at. Like, I could get mad at him, right. but I couldn't stay mad at him. He would just smile, this shit-eating grin, and knew exactly how to, like, brush my arm the right way and say my name. I'm like, oh, I hate you. <laughs> and then he got me laughing, and then I couldn't be mad. <laughs> I want to I jump to the store and keep following it. For those who don't know, like the first impression I got just looking at your Instagram account, it's like here's a like a physically she has a physical presence, almost intimidating in the sense that you're very built. You've played like in the lingerie football league, so it's like you know that's a that's an aggressive sport. I, you've done like Spartan races for fun, like ball hockey. I know you're really into that. Did you do? I think you did an. Did you do like a half Ironman, an Ironman at one point? 
Yeah, I did a half Ironman. I used to compete in triathlons as well. Right. You're part of fitness programs. You're a WPFF, like, pro person there at some... So, like, just super in shape, super no one would ever imagine... Like ever having this type of conversation with you would be my guess, right? Like it's like I've got to be hyper masculine. I've got to and being more aggressive and more assertive than she is. How would you summarize just how most people perceive you? Even my girlfriends, um, when they first started talking to them, they were like, "I have the perfect guy for you to meet. He's the cop, and he's all muscular." And I'm like, "Okay, like I'm like, why do I care if he's a muscular?" I'm like, uh, I, I'm actually really into intellect. I like having stimulating conversation and depth conversation. I want to find someone who is in tune with me emotionally. And that is often because of my physical appearance. I attract that guy that thinks he's super alpha male. My personality puts men in their place or, or makes them feel um, or they'll tell me that I emasculate them and mm. I tell them that nobody can emasculate them but themselves. And that doesn't go over well either. <laughs> Just your presence, it immediately calls into question like the stereotypical way of viewing a male's worth, which is, you know, generally speaking, men are stronger than women in general. You know, the Olympics, the sports, they bear that. that. Then someone like yourself comes along who it's like, you're stronger than a lot of guys out there. And it's like, oh, wait a second, I don't know who I am if I'm not stronger than her physically. Just like you sharing, like, the depth of your stories of all the things you've gone through, it calls out parts of people that they're not used to dealing with, and they're not really sure what to do. So maybe they overcompensate, or it's just awkward. And It's definitely awkward. Yeah, I have, I've been told I'm intimidating um, to talk to, and and then I'm like, well, if you just actually just talked to me like I was a normal person and said, hi, how are you? My name is, you would have got a conversation out of me. I'm not that intimidating. But if you come up to me and you act like that, then you're definitely going to provoke a more aggressive side out of me because I don't like that. <laughs> well, I was about to be fair. I was about to say, to be fair, if someone doesn't know what they're doing or they're being a jerk, like they should be intimidated because it's not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, or if someone, um, if I feel like someone's like feeding me soup, blowing smoke up my <laughs> They're being charming, let's say, <laughs> in a misleading way. They're being manipulative and like that to me that's shady and I automatically think they're not trustworthy. <laughs> like, what is your agenda? <laughs> right, but I don't, I don't think that's a common experience of I, am I polite, too? If somebody approaches mm. me and I'm not interested um, and they're polite about it, respectful, I'm really polite about it, respectful. I'm not, like, right. I've been told really weird, too. Like, oh, well, thanks for, you know, not, like, snubbing me off. I'm like, well, <laughs> you're, you're a human, <laughs> not an apple. <laughs> like, provoked. <laughs> okay, so with, with all this in mind, like, now I think people get that, like, when we're talking, you know, about, like, you're meeting your husband and, like, this is kind of the interaction you had. I, that you weren't as built wait that was when you were what 19 you said so this it was yeah. that that comes along later but this is you know just for most people who or if they have you know if they're all familiar with you it's like okay there's probably a side of you that they're not they would not expect just judging based off of appearances so back into your story you met your your soon will be husband you guys hit it off in your unique way <laughs> and then what where how did things go from there well we um we 
We dated for a little while, but it wasn't like anything serious. We were both really young and mm. we were getting to know each other and we kind of like started to develop a really strong friendship. And so when I say I married my best friend, I really did marry my best friend. He, we didn't, we didn't last as long when we were younger, but we remained friends. So mm. we started dating other people eventually because we realized our timing wasn't right. And neither one of us were, we were just young and not like looking for anything serious right, right away. We were just, mm -hmm. you know, learning how to be adults. <laughs> Both of us were uh, on the same page, actually. And when I would have a problem with somebody I was dating or would it blow off steam, I would drive over to his house and talk to him about it. And he did the same thing with me. Tell me about a girl. And, and we wouldn't really get jealous, you know, maybe a little bit of jealous, but more or less like offer a friendship with each other. And then when I was living in Florida in Miami, he was in the military. I had been out of the military. He was getting into the military and he um, found out that I was going to be coming to Pittsburgh for Christmas and called me, found my number, got a hold of me while I was in Florida. And it was like, I'm taking you out when you get home. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and they pretty much hung up the phone on me. And <laughs> my roommate was giggling. She was like, I've never seen you act like that, like with a guy ever. You just submitted. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, he didn't give me a choice. He said, I'm taking you out, not do you want to go out? And she goes, wow. And I was like, I know. I actually found it really attractive. <laughs> like, what the hell's wrong with me? <laughs> and so we went out whenever um, I went to Pittsburgh. And we had been, like, apart from each other for about two, maybe three years. Mm -hmm. Um two years yeah and uh after we went out that christmas we were married four months later <laughs> so you were ready to commit and then both were in places you're ready to commit and then the job got done <laughs> yeah we just like i knew more or less what i was looking for in a partner i had dated other people i lived other places he'd done the same thing he got a job he wanted to he always wanted a family and um he wanted to be able to be a provider. And so he knew that his military career would allow that. Mm. So he was set up for something more serious and he was ready to connect and commit with somebody. And so was I, it was just timing was like perfect then. And so then when did you head over to Germany? Like when did that, how long till that? We were, we lived in North Carolina, Fort Bragg. We, mm had orders to move to Germany while I was pregnant, but I was too pregnant to move and fly. So we had to wait till we had Bastion and then we had to get new orders, which takes a long time in the military. Sure. So we, we didn't actually end up moving to Germany until Bastion was four months old. And so during this time, like as, as you shared earlier on, like you've had this traumatic, you know, childhood experience growing up of like having to fend for yourself and just a lot of stuff that you probably weren't able to open up to with a lot of people. How was he with you dealing with that? That's like one of the most amazing things about him that even though I never really felt like I took him for granted as I'm older now and dating after being a widow, I, even though I appreciated it, mm. I appreciate it even more now because 
I didn't understand how truly, truly rare it was. But we were so in sync. Like, he had struggles in his childhood, none quite like the ones I went through, but he definitely had his own struggles. And a lot of his struggles were his own self. And he knows that. And he, it, he figured that out when he was 20. It was amazing. He was really smart. And he, I would talk to him and open up and he would just listen. And sometimes he would offer me a perspective that I had never even seen about myself. And I never really was fully confident until him. Hmm. He showed me how he perceived me through his eyes. And that was when I started to like really truly love myself as well. Like I never, it's not like I hated myself before, but I wasn't, definitely wasn't as confident until I saw myself through his eyes. It was amazing that he could know. Cause we were, when I think about it now, I'm 37 and we got married when we were 23. <laughs> and like, how is he so smart at 23? I've met 23 year olds now. And I, mm. all, a lot of them, I don't feel that way about. <laughs> sure. I'm like, oh my God, you have so many mistakes to make. Have fun. <laughs> um, he, he got in his fair load of trouble. He did a lot of rotten things when he was a teenage boy. He learned from each and everything. I think that's why. And, uh, but he, he definitely connected with me more than I've ever connected with anybody else. And this, this is all setting the background for, you know, we, we know the scene that's going to come and it's just so heartbreaking, but it's like, you know, it's so beautiful that. Hey, it was my fairy tale ending that every little girl dreams about that they'll like find their Prince Charming to rescue them one day. And not that he really, rescued me but he rescued me from myself you know mm -hmm. well he was there for you and you were able to relate in ways that you know like you're saying it's just not common or it's unusual and so you were that for each other you're you know he's this yeah i wasn't alone <laughs> you weren't alone and someone you could trust and someone that you could work with and he's this green beret and you know you're supporting yeah, each... he, he was an outstanding citizen like he give back to the community he was compassionate loving like just a really good human being who also loved me it was very flattering at the same time to have such an amazing person give you their time i think that's like the trade-off between what people want is like everyone wants to be fully known everyone wants to be fully loved but you know, that's risk that if I'm going to let myself flaws and all be known, then I'm scared they're not going to like me because they might feel the same way about me that I do, which isn't the best. And so to truly be able to open up to someone that you respect and admire and to not be shunned, but to actually be embraced, even though, you know, you're both not perfect. I think most people just settle for surface level pretending and surface level, you know, at least as comfortable and at least I can't truly get hurt because they don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I can't, I can't, like, fathom or wrapping my head around ever settling for that when I already know what it feels like for someone to love me for every part of me and knowing exactly who I am. Knowing all my flaws, knowing all my <laughs> quirks that might drive someone else crazy <laughs> and being okay with it. And I was the same with him. I was completely, absolutely head over heels in love with this man, even with all of his little flaws that he had <laughs> and you know we didn't move in together until after we were married and 
so you know like we would joke with each other like what we would find something you when you live with somebody you learn a lot about somebody that you wouldn't think to ask in a dating situation sure <laughs> like for example that he would just leave his socks everywhere like he would take his socks off and just leave them wherever he took them off <laughs> <laughs> and it drove me nuts <laughs> I found the like humor in it. I'm like, I have to tell you, this drives me that shit crazy. And he's like, well, we're stuck with each other now. We're married. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd like laugh about it because I know I did stuff that would drive him nuts as well. But um, it was kind of the fun and the joy of the uh, the journey. <laughs> You're able to appreciate the, the things because you have this solid foundation where it's understood that you can laugh at each other and make fun of each other because that's not the deepest part of your connection that's threatening. Like, are we going to make it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, these socks are really annoying. These socks and she's <laughs> out of here. Oh, man, I got to pretend. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever people tell me that they break up or they lose interest in someone over superficial things like that i feel like their connection was probably never there to begin with but they don't recognize it yeah either that or it's the pr version of not trying to ah yeah i don't get it either it's it's <laughs> teach their own the one the one thing you said like you couldn't imagine not having that type of relationship i think most people would like hope for that but i think what they couldn't understand is they couldn't imagine having gone through what you've gone through and still being okay like they would do anything to avoid you know the level of hurt that you didn't really have much choice when you were younger but as you got older you know eventually you started saying i you know i'm willing to take these risks because it's you know that that level of pain is not something that's unknown to me it's something you know i can manage or i can i'm strong enough to handle or i can get through it i definitely i mean strong is my mindset because i know what struggle feels like I know that I'll make it through it. Nothing's beaten me so far. Mm. Um, I just got to keep going. I know that my biggest obstacle in life will always be me. Yeah. It'll be what's going on in my head and my attitude. If I want to be a victim and feel sorry for myself, then I can be a victim and fall victim and, and be sad and, and woe is me. Or I can survive things and move forward and say, okay, this has happened. Now we need to find an, uh, some sort of like if it's just grievings and grieving if it's a struggle then how to overcome it and say what's next um, yeah and one of the one of the things we talked about like all all this like you know thinking about your relationship with your husband and then you know you're saying you've dated since then and before then one of the words you use that I'm still kind of curious to like really understand what you mean is like you know a partnership what is your, you know, conception of like a healthy relationship and how would it work in your mind? Right. They always, I always see memes, you know, about people being like, she wears the pants or he's the boss. And, um, I want a partnership. I want an equal, I want, and my equal doesn't mean they need to be able to do everything that I do or I do everything they do. It's someone who I want us to compliment each other, to fill in where I'm weak and I'll fill in where they're weak, and together we be like a team where we can, you know, run our, our household and help each other accomplish our dreams together and share the intimate, amazing moments that make you smile together and also have someone to lay my head on and just hold me when I feel like I'm not as strong as I should be. Mm. 
like when I first heard that word, just I'm going to contrast it with things and just see, okay, what do you feel about this? Like when I heard the word partnership the first time, I'm thinking of like the New York mindset where it's like, you know, New Yorkers are not really, if you have kids, generally it's time to get out of New York. It's not a friendly city for a family, generally speaking, for a lot of people. And for them, a partnership, it's almost a consumer relationship where it's like we're business partners and we're there to, you know, bring out the best in each other, but in a very competitive way, as if you're almost like always challenging the other person to, you know, be their best and to, to, is that, how would you, how would you feel about that description? I would love for my partner to challenge me to make and help me in a supportive way become a better person I'm constantly striving to grow and be a better person and if they're pushing me and on the same page with me then I would love that I do that to to the the, we usually I jump right into that role as well like not in a dominating way but in a way that's supportive and productive towards something I know they're personally trying to achieve you help push them um past their limits but I'm also a personal trainer and nutritional coach I constantly do that with everybody (laughs) right (laughs) I would not mind that from a partnership at all I think um that would be healthy and and I wouldn't I think I would personally like that yeah so the the whole like you know growth or you know challenge over comfort the one the one point then that maybe I would disagree with that that kind of New York mindset or like to really like say okay what do you mean by that really it's like that that consumer approach which is if you were to suffer a car accident then all of a sudden we're gonna have to reevaluate this partnership because i'm now bringing way more to the table than you are and guess what old terms are out the window i'm on to something better now how how would you well i think in a relationship partnership rules are different it's not like what i bring to the table is you know finances and what you bring to the table is this to me, a partnership is more like emotionally what we can bring to the table. And then obviously like achieving normal things in a household. Like, for example, I am dating someone now and he's not handy whatsoever, (laughs) but that's okay because I am really handy. (laughs) So if something needs fixed, I'll fix it. And I wouldn't say that if he learned how that we're both like we we're not unequal or unequal. That's just something that I can offer that's on a more superficial level in our relationship. Right. Your worth doesn't come from your actions or these amount of that. Like that's not where equality in the sense of like human worth or dignity comes from. No, if you're if you're if I'm going through something and I need you to be here for me are you going to be here for me Um, are you you're going to help me like even if helping me means you're just sitting next to me and giving me a hug then that that's like that's amazing if as someone who's been raising a child by Mm. herself for 11 years sometimes I just need to be held (laughs) and and I'll figure out the other stuff (laughs) And I know I'll get through it. I just need someone to, just to hold me in a, a connection that things like that are what I'm looking for in my partner. Not Going back into your story, like as soon as you hear Gold Star Widow, just that term alone is so powerful. There's not any need to go beyond it. But, you know, you had this rough upbringing. You guys are, you know, connecting with each other in this very cool way. You have a you know, you're pregnant and then you have this young kid and you left Germany. And then, I mean, 
he's Green Beret and what, do you know what happened or? I do. Um, he was, he called me before he left. Um, he could get to call me every now and then. And he would tell me that he was going fishing, which meant that he was um, going to, so the Green Berets are in a team. Maybe a little background info would help. And what they do is they ha- they kind of clear out areas of insur- insurgents where, you know, the bad guys are. <laughs> right. And so they go into places where there's not already military bases established, and then they'll they'll clear them out, and then they'll set up and build schools and libraries and teach the people there. They'll help them because the the Green Beret motto is to free the oppressed. So they take the oppressed and they teach them how to defend themselves. Um, but the first step is to clear out that land of the people that are terrorizing the oppressed. And so when he said he was going fishing, that means they probably had reports of insurgents in the area and they were going to go and patrol and just sort of check out the area. Well, they um, it was supposed to be like just a checkout. Like they, it wasn't supposed to be a full out battle or anything, but uh, it turned into that. So I guess what happened was the enemy was kind of waiting for their patrol of Humvees to go through and they uh, launched, it was dark out, they launched RPG-9s, which are armor-piercing um, rocket-propelled grenades, which we don't use, but the enemy does. So he was driving the Humvee. Usually he was the gunner at the top of the Humvee, but they switch positions every now and then in the team, just so everybody has an idea of everyone else's position. So he was driving, and his Humvee was hit in the door where he was driving mm. and he took a shrapnel wound to the armpit and it um didn't like it didn't matter that he had a vest on or anything because he hit if you hit an armpit you have a major artery yeah. there so he was bleeding but a lot of the other guys in his team were bleeding and hit too especially the gunner the guy that was at the top he had shrapnel wounds everywhere so pat's first reaction was to drive them out of the area and into safety which he did mm-hmm. He saved his teammates, and the medic put him on the hood and tried to get them to drive to the helicopter because they knew that he was bleeding out, and they tried to their best to rescue him, but that's a surgery that needs done immediately. And the helicopter came, and he died on the helicopter on the way to the hospital. Man. And the medic that was in the hospital, or in the helicopter messages me today wow where when you're your family they take one of your brothers yep your family they, they keep out they keep checking up on you make sure you're all right and i do the same for them mm-hmm. i can't imagine what it would be like to watch and see and while all that's going on so yeah, and you you shared earlier, like even before that incident, like just being on the fort base, it's like all the women kind of had a different way of relating to each other. It was a camaraderie. It was a true sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Even though we may not have ever like in the civilian world liked each other or sought out to be friends with them, we all had a mutual respect and we were all sisters and friends. We, there was no cattiness. There was no like backstabbing. Mm-hmm. Everybody respected one another and looked out from one another if if they needed somebody i'm still friends with the uh, 
the wives today. They're amazing and trustworthy. And that has been something that I've been very fortunate to have because it doesn't exist as much in the civilian world. It's been hard to make friends <laughs> since I since I've uh, been living with the civilian world among civilians because I was too trusting because I came from a background of of that teammates and camaraderie and people aren't like that in general. There are people that are like that, but I found the majority are not. Yeah, and there's just there's just so much you shared there where it's like, you know, like one, it's like thank you for, you know, just what you've done for our country and then like the context of that is like I'm used to the media, like, you know, the politicians, just how we feel about our nation. Like we're used to seeing the worst about our country, perhaps on the news. And it's like looking at that suffering and that camaraderie and what what people have sacrificed in order to give us our freedoms that, you know, we take for granted because, you know, voting, uh, the whole system's rigged. What can my one vote do? Or it's, you know, free speech. How important is it? I don't want to be offended. Media does horrible things. My husband wrote me emails about telling me, please don't listen to CNN, that they completely misreported an entire story and they made the soldiers there look awful. I can't even imagine being over there and helping these people and these people that were that we're fighting against are nothing like us. Their culture is nothing like yeah. us. They don't care about one individual person. They care about a mass. We care about each individual as a person. And they they don't hesitate to, they know that, that they're, that the, for one, one story was, they knew that there were terrorists in the one building and they knew the Americans found out and they put the wives and kids on top of the roof so that, that we wouldn't attack it because they know we wouldn't do that. Right. They sacrifice they sacrifice people that aren't even willingly participating. We would never do things like that. And the media misrepresents it and these guys are fighting, helping free these oppressed people and that's the crap that they have to put up with. And just hoping that their families and friends don't believe the stories. Yes. And it's like, that's no one's saying anyone's perfect, but it's to compare the treatment of women here in America with the treatment of women over there and to promote this narrative that America is this awful place towards women. Yes. Awful things do happen to women. That's not denying that that happens, but to want to change our system of government or way of you know our founding principles that have led to this nation that you know people are fighting and dying for because they understand how important it is that that's just very naive in my opinion like you're just not aware of what it's like and what you're trying to go towards no it's it's ignorant it's it's complete ignorance to not understand what i mean you you grow i mean not everyone grows up what privileged in America, but you're definitely, there's a lot more privileges than there are other places for sure. <laughs> yes. Just by nature of being born in America, you are the, you know, 1% of the world. It's like America yeah. is a great place to be. People want to get here. It's, and to feel otherwise is just not accurate. It's not being aware that people still grow up and polio is a thing for them. Their father had polio and they realize how like vaccines are pretty awesome. 
or except, you know, I'm sure there's, it's like, okay, but teach, you know, just when we've lost a sense of how good we have it and what it costs to achieve that, that's why, like, when hearing your personal, I mean, that's a very personal story, but I guess I think globally, and it's like, wow, you know, we, we don't hear your story often enough to realize that, you know, simple, something as simple as voting or something as simple as not thinking it's appropriate to take women to the top of a building so they they won't bomb it. It's like, goodness. We, it, it makes me sad a lot of times because we have this awesome thing called social media now, and it gives everyone like a megaphone for their voice. And how people are choosing to use their voice and be heard is so disappointing so often. You can choose to spread positive things or you can take this and like troll people or write negative or use it as a dear diary I'm going to complain again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, it's just it it's kind of blows my mind. Like people talk down on social media and I'm like, I feel like it's a wonderful thing. If it's used right, you can, you can share, you can connect with somebody in Switzerland and have like a meaningful, wonderful. I've had some really cool conversations through Instagram with people just by sharing things because I, I want to share my story and I, then I get to hear their story. Each person I meet, gives me a little bit and I learn a little bit more. I learn a little bit about myself. I learn a little bit about their situation. It's more insight to just the world in general. It's it's really neat. And there's a lot of things going on, but a lot of people don't live right, like very far outside their bubble. <laughs> the best things we can think to share are, you know, something like a new outfit or, and for some people that is their passion and it means so much to them. And it's like, if they can be honest about it and truly help me understand where that comes from and why it's like, that's interesting. Anyone who's being real and, you know, some people are going to be called to be a fashion person developing clothes and that's their life passion. It's like, awesome. Help me understand this. But for others, it's like something might be more interesting to you. Are you just settling for being interested in that? I mean, I am attracted to all forms of art, fashion being one of them. So I do follow my occasional fashion guru, and I, I like my little interior designer <laughs> ladies uh, sitting there doing amazing things with their houses. And I'm like, I can't wait for my room to look like it's in a magazine. And I understand, I get it, because when you have a space that's very inviting, it makes you want to be in it, and that's a good feeling. Women, for me, are a little bit more simpler because they're emotionally driven. So... And most of the time, that emotion is happiness. <laughs> that's the desired outcome. How you get to happiness is a, that's a perennial question. <laughs> yes, yes. That is the, that's the challenging part and where we all differ. <laughs> and, that, and that's fair to say that. Do you, do you feel amongst other women, do you feel this, give me the truth, let's talk and be real? Does that go over well, generally? <laughs> It hasn't before. Um, I'm finally getting to a place where it is because I found the right people. Mm. Like I found, I found my girls that are I'm close to, and I can be honest with, and they can be honest with me, and they are, even if it's completely off the wall or we completely clash. But we don't, we're not mad at each other or anything. We're all very like open-minded, in, instead of. In the past, I've gotten like cattiness or awkwardness or resentment or just straight up bitch face at me. And I'm like, I don't even know what I just did to provoke that response from you. Could you please tell me? 
<laughs> I know. It's like there's only so much time in the day, and I can't figure out. Like, if you thought that was offensive, boy, you better not hang out around me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you don't want to get to know me too well because I definitely have a potty mouth and say what's on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you design your own fashion, right? For your or your own costumes for your. Is it... I do. I am an adult, and I still like to play dress. <laughs> <laughs> And I get called a dork and a nerd for it all the time. And I don't even care. <laughs> it's fun. My son and I, my son does it with me now. He has for like the last three years. We make costumes and we dress up as either characters that already exist or we make up our own. <laughs> and then we go to comic cons or sometimes we just do it because it's fun. <laughs> So our most recent one was I did Valkyrie, and he was a magical dwarf warrior. <laughs> Best mom-son combo ever. It was pretty awesome. He, we uh, glued, so we had, they don't make, like, gluable beards for children, or at least I couldn't find one. Okay. So we took old sideburns that he used when he dressed up as um, Albert Einstein <laughs> for school. Uh-huh. And, and we painted them red and glued them on so they look like a really awesome beard. <laughs> and then he had bright red hair. And then we used foam, EVA foam, which is super cheap. And we made what looked like metal armor mm. and weapons. It was really cool. Um, and it was super light. And everyone couldn't believe that it was foam. <laughs> That's got to be like the coolest thing ever. Is, that, is it 10 years old? Is that what you said? Or how old is he? My son's 12. 12, okay. Yeah, for a 12-year-old, that's got to be like the coolest thing ever to be dressed up and then to actually not just do trick-or-treating or something fun, but to go to a com- you know, like a Comic-Con where there's a lot of other people there doing it. Oh, yeah. He loves it. He's super into it. He's designing his own comic book now, too. That's awesome. Yeah, he's a really talented artist, and um, he's super creative. So we come up, he, does, he does, like draws these little characters from his imagination, and they're usually a little on the darker side. He has a little bit of a dark sense of humor. We developed like a whole background story about these characters. Well, now he's bringing them to life and putting them in a story. <laughs> okay, so then here it is, right? Like just, just again, to summarize your story, you <laughs> si- single mom, you're doing all these things like finding time to play in the lingerie football league, finding time <laughs> to work out, finding time to run your own fitness business being involved in like i think it was sister sister with fibros right you're, yeah. you're doing all these things and then you're still finding time to make costumes with your kid go to comic con and somehow in all this you still feel mom guilt <laughs> i do i feel you know i was thinking about that too i thought about the mom guilt a lot this morning because my son and i ha- had an all-out brawl at breakfast <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, felt guilty afterwards because I yelled like at the top of my lungs. Yelled. Mm. Um, and then I was obviously feeling guilty for yelling. But sometimes he needs yelled at because nothing else is working and he's not listening mm. and I need to scare him. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think sometimes the guilt for me comes from from a mom is because parenting isn't always or most of the time this days especially isn't rewarding mm. um so it's not a lot of it isn't enjoyable like there are enjoyable moments the laughter mm-hmm. but a lot of it especially at this phase in his uh, adolescence <laughs> particularly sure 
are not very rewarding and it's just a lot of work you feel a little bit like a slave (laughs) (laughs) you feel like a taxi driver you feel like a laundry service you feel like a maid and you feel like a tutor and you also feel like a crazy um, MacGyver problem solver (laughs) (laughs) and then at the same time you have to be compassionate and then also like after you tell them that they did wrong then you have to pet them and tell them you still love them (laughs) (laughs) and it's really exhausting and it's tiring and you don't always enjoy it a lot of times I'll see like these people post kids pictures of their kids their kids are their whole lives they love nothing more than to be a mom it was their dream job and it's hard to identify with that for me because I'm tired I'm like I don't really think this is that fun right now I don't understand why you like it so much Where's the memes of the mom drinking wine? Those are relatable. (laughs) Yeah, well, there's some moms, like the mommy bloggers, that used to, as I understand it, it started off like being a chance for them to share just and be real, and then it turned into a full-time job for some people where they're staging photo shoots, and their job is literally to make their, like being a mom, look as awesome and as shareable, as cool as possible. So it's like, that's just crushing to think you've got to compare yourself it's what you see and then you feel mom guilt for that so i posted some pictures on social media of me throughout the day i was folding socks like matching <laughs> songs i was doing dishes i would fix the toilet um, <laughs> i did not post the epic battles that i have with my kid <laughs> but i also don't claim that it's the most glorious thing in the world either because I know that sometimes that makes me feel guilty and I don't want to make somebody else feel inadequate or guilty by saying something like that because it's so hard to do the right thing right like if you were just to give your kid sugar and whatever he wanted he would probably quotes unquote love you on some level right yeah but they wouldn't respect you and they would not like you when you were older <laughs> when they were older and failing <laughs> correct and it's, it's like you are laying the foundation the building blocks the way he interprets and experiences the world what he just how he even perceives it at a fundamental level it's like you are helping contribute to ha- that foundation and it's like i think thomas Paine said that about like during the you know revolutionary war it's like this is like a seed and every small action we do now will grow up and be magnified a thousand times throughout the growth of our nation yeah 100 percent. that's i work on habit building with my son now where it would be much easier to do everything for him especially because he can't complete more than one task at a time because of his um, processing disorder Mm -hmm. but instead i don't want to enable him and not and then not have the tools he needs to be a successful human when he's older. Cause I feel like I would be a failure as a parent. So I'm exhausted now because I'm making sure that he can learn how to take care of himself. And that is really hard to do. <laughs> like he just simple as like, I don't even cook his dinner. I've taught him how to feed himself <laughs> and he's 12 and people are like, Oh, I'm cooking for my kid. I'm like, Oh, I make my kid cook for himself, but it took me a while. And then he only has how to make like three things and we'll learn how to make something new. But at the same time, it's a lot more work and it's tiring and and takes a long time before you feel reward from it. Um, yes. And I think that's, I think that's the trade off for someone just like in relationships, just like any part of life, it might feel better to do something in the short term that 
just give him candy and turn the TV on all the time or whatever. And then, you know, oh, you're the best. I love you. This is perfect. Like that, you know, in the moment that feels good, even though in the back of your mind, you have to kind of tune out and say, I know something's not quite right here, but I'm so busy. I don't want to think about it anyways. And like what you're saying, you're not really getting any short term rewards. In fact, you're doing life is being harder for you because you're spending the time to do things right. And I think a lot of people just I think that's a, is that a decision you have to make? Like, I'm just going to do what's right, even if it no matter what, basically. Yeah, well, it, to me, I, I guess maybe I'm um, I call it putting on your big girl pants. You know, <laughs> okay. you have to be responsible whether I want to or not. I made it, you know, I made a Kate. I have a responsibility and I I don't half ass anything. So, you know, I'm going to do this and I want to do it. Well, <laughs> so and I, I put that into pretty much all aspects, parenting too. I don't want to, I don't want to just give him a little like that. Would to me, I would feel selfish and mean if I only gave him a little piece of me and not like showed him the bigger picture. That doesn't say it. Like I'm not always. I'm not saying that I don't sometimes say, "Hey, go watch a movie." I of need, course, yeah. <laughs> I need to read a book. <laughs> actually put us both in timeout on several occasions <laughs> when things get really heated i'm like you go to your room i'm going to my room we're gonna <laughs> well, that's smart let's let's talk when we're in a place that we can actually have a productive conversation because right now it's not going to happen <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah and one of the things you shared that i thought was really cool was like you were you talked about he can't process a lot so what, what was one of the ways that you kind of helped him have a step-by-step -step way throughout the house of like being able to be self-sufficient we have chalkboards. I um so I bought this house uh, a year ago and it I have been remodeling it myself and I've started adding in chalkboards everywhere and on the chalkboards I write lists of like tasks he's to do in order. So you can't tell him to go get ready for school because that requires way too many steps and he can't process that like effectively. So I have to break down what getting ready for school means. It means making your breakfast, then putting your dishes away, taking your medicine and taking your vitamins, then brushing your teeth. So then he gets to the bathroom. He's like, oh, my brush my teeth is messed up. So he goes to the bathroom. In the bathroom, there's a list. Brush my teeth, put on deodorant, fix my hair, and then I tell him to love himself because he's worth it. Aww. So I write little messages on there too. <laughs> And then he goes to his room to get dressed because that's the next step. And then he has a little list in there. Um, Tuesdays is laundry day. So he goes down to do his own laundry and he has a list on how to work the washer, the steps it takes to do the laundry, where to put the clothes, how to work the dryer. So we have lists of tasks and directions everywhere so that he repeats them in the order that I've written them every single time then eventually those things will become a habit and then he won't have to think about it he'll just be able to do it which a lot of people do that naturally he doesn't really process information like that so he has to learn through structure and habit building hearing that story of like oh my goodness like what a caring mom like how in touch and how in tune and just you know being there for your kid in that way you know when we talked last one of the one of the perceptions you had, like a lot of people, even yourself sometimes, you kind of viewed yourself as being this, not harsh, but what would you say where it's like, because, you know, you sometimes you have no, I don't feel like harsh. I feel like a drill sergeant because I have to provide so much structure and 
um, discipline to make sure that he's doing all the right things. And then, so I feel like, you know, as I have to be two parents, I have to be the dad and the mm -hmm. mom. And when you see like TV sitcom or whatever, you see like, that's the dad. And then the, the mom is like, provides like a shrine and the compassionate nurturing one where my compassion and nurturing are shown completely different than a more physical affection and, mm -hmm. and compliments type form. <laughs> Mine is more through, like I said, trying to teach my kid how to succeed when he's an adult. So even though he was born with something, some people might consider a handicap, I'm not going to let it handicap him. Yeah. And, and that's how I show it. But it doesn't, it feels like I see people like, look at this. And, and they have like hearts and frames. And, and I don't, my mom has one for me. She has like <laughs> all my magazine clippings and like any article ever written, like all these pictures of me, like a little shrine in my house. I'm like, I don't have that for my kid. Should I be doing that? <laughs> so that, so that's, that's when you're like talking like with some of your friends or stories where it's like, you might, you know, use humor. It's, it's there. They might view it as uncaring sometimes but like you're saying it's like you are a very caring person it's just there's some things that you believe firmly in and it's like allowing yourself to be so emotional that you didn't discipline your son or or bring him to his full potential would not be truly the caring thing to do no i don't want him to be enabled either mm -hmm. i um i honestly kind of learned a lot um about dating about men dating after I was married. I've seen grown men in their mid thirties, not completely able to, to take care of themselves. And it was bothered me. And I was like, well, I don't want my son mm. to not be able to take care of himself. So I would like, so I'm like, okay, well, we need to make sure he can do this. And then I started seeing it like a lot more. And then I started seeing their relationship with their moms and how enabling their moms were with their little boys but not with their girls. It was fascinating. It's fascinating to me. Like they demanded and expected more of their daughters, but with their sons, they would definitely still do things for them as an adult that they should not be doing for their kids. All this experience you went through, how do you, how were you able to express anger? Well, it wasn't always productive and or healthy when I was younger, um, like really, really young as a kid, I would write in journal so it was healthy at that point and I would like draw things like that to really get my anger out my emotions out things that any kind of frustration that I didn't understand when I got older in high school and um, older I started getting a little bit more physical violent mm -hmm. maybe like I definitely had my fair share of fights I didn't usually start them. I was never starting fights, but I was definitely not a backing down off of any either. <laughs> right. I got you. <laughs> and that wasn't the most healthy method either, because that's a lot of energy expended that I didn't really need to expend over any stupid point. <laughs> then I learned the magic of sports <laughs> and weightlifting and physical activity. So even though maybe the little bit of violence that you would get from fighting would help relieve some of the frustration and tension. It also caused a lot more issues where playing sports and lifting didn't, and you got the frustrations out. So as an adult with a healthier mindset, <laughs> I like to use the gym to get out frustration. Um, 
I like to use weightlifting. I like to play sports. I love hockey, amateur hockey. I loved football. They were all just little mini vacations for my brain. Just get me out of my own head and only think about this right here, right now, what's going on. And it was neat because if you, the way I think about a sport is like a little battle. Like if we are going to war, <laughs> <laughs> this is what we have to work with. Like, how do we win? <laughs> so, so on the field and in the ring, that that's that's how I thought about it. Weightlifting, um, more like tra- tra- training and preparing for war. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's kind of a good segue into strong as the new sexy is like it's one new theme that some people are like you know strongly behind of like female empowerment. That's one angle at which they they look at female empowerment. And so for someone like yourself, I think most women would look up to you and they would say, "Oh my goodness, how could I ever be." Right, like you, you work on your own floor. You're like you're, you're built. You're strong. You're doing all these things. I guess I'm kind of curious, like, what, if you didn't have a 12 year old boy, but if you had, you know, a 12 year old daughter, how would you help her think about being a strong, empowered woman? I would probably approach it the same way my dad taught me. He he started teaching me how to work with tools and on the car and build furniture. As soon as I was capable and strong enough to start doing it, he told me that he wanted to help me so that I never needed a man for anything I could rely on myself. And if I ever had a man in my life, it would be because I wanted him there, not because I needed him. Mm -hmm. And that was a really valuable lesson to me because I have had to rely on myself almost my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I had to count on myself and I don't know if my dad knew that or saw a glimpse of my future or what, (laughs) but to me, that was a really important lesson because I don't know what I would be doing right now if I couldn't take care of and do the things that I need to do. Like I work on my house financially because I, I'm a single mom. Like Mm. I can't afford someone to come in and remodel my home. So I was like, I can do that. And then I would read up on it, research it, figure it out, and then do it. So obviously there's certain things that I, I do pay out for because, sure. you know, as, especially a little, you get a little older. But if I had a little girl, I would teach her the same way that my dad taught me. I would want her to be self-reliant and be able to depend on herself. And if she had anyone in her life, it would be because she wanted them there, not because she needed needed them, wanted to use them for something. And I do know that we need affection, and I don't mean that like you people need love. <laughs> but you would have you got to pick somebody you love them for who they are, not because of some sort of monetarily thing that they bring to the table or some sort of status or lifestyle that they can bring you. Like they hopefully you can provide that for yourself and you have that person there because you really truly love and like that person and that was a really good gift my dad gave to me and that's the same way I would my daughter
for people who heard this and they want to hear more of your story or to like continue to follow along and see what you're up to, what are some ways that they could follow you? Well, I am on Instagram. My business is nutrition and fitness and I'm going completely on my own. So I'm not going to be tied to any companies anymore. I've had people, too many people try to make over my image and I don't like it. So I am actually going to be a lot more forthcoming and even more real and sharing even more of my story on social media. Uh, hopefully we'll be eventually writing a book, but it'll, it'll, it has to be a great time. <laughs> but I'm more than happy to talk with anybody as long as they um, just approach me in a respectful manner, then I, I love meeting new people. So. <laughs> and your Instagram is what again? Keith underscore squat underscore low. Chief squat low.